So how do you say, oh, bring all of you. Oh, but not that part, not that part, not that part to individuals. And they feel still feel safe. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hi, leaders, and welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Alms, and today's topic is one that can help you transform performance on your team in really unexpected ways. I'm talking about creating an environment of psychological safety where people feel comfortable expressing themselves without being afraid that they're going to face negative personal or professional consequences. Here to talk with me today is Jennifer Davis Allison. Jennifer has spent decades in talent, organizational, and community development to help leaders to think, talk, and act better. She's worked with DDI for a long time as one of our consultants, as well as owns her own consulting firm. Jen, it is such a pleasure to welcome you to the Leadership 480 podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Beth. I'm so glad to be here. So let's start by talking about this concept of psychological safety. What is it and why is it such a hot and important topic in leadership right now? You know, it's really interesting because as I thought about the topic myself, one of the things I experienced was that there are practices and approaches and tools that I've actually acquired, used, and developed along the way that today um, they are reflected in and they are codified in this term psychological um, psychological safety. So one of the interesting definitions I came across in this codifying of it was this idea of an environment of rewarded vulnerability. What does that mean? That sounds really powerful. And so I really have to think about that. And for me, it's about having the conditions or the environment that can best support some of the aspects of living that we're dealing with right now, like diversity, like agility, innovation, creativity. We use these terms, but what does it take to actually foster them and bring them about? And I think this term psychological safety is beginning to really capture that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, as we look at opening up vulnerability, how does that start to change the team dynamic? So if you let people be a little bit more vulnerable, what do you get out of it? What do you get out of it? Well, one of the things that happens in order, it's not even just so much that you let people be vulnerable as people allow themselves to be vulnerable. And in order for me to allow myself to be vulnerable, certain things have to be happening for me internally. I have to have a level of trust in the environment that I'm in. I need to feel safe. It means that I feel a connection with the environment and with the people around me. It means that I feel somehow that I fit and I belong and that what I have is both Um, of value to the individuals and to the environment. When people are feeling like that, people are contributing. People are taking the initiative. Um, People are generative of their ideas. 
and their thinking. And those translate for organizations, especially in an uh, information economy, into results like innovative and creative ideas, new ways of seeing, doing, and doing things, um, a willingness to go beyond what's expected, right? You have performance. So there's a lot of benefits in return to having an environment where people allow themselves to be vulnerable. Rather so powerful. In creating that safe environment where people feel comfortable to be vulnerable and, and share their ideas, they're not afraid they're going to get attacked for it. I think a lot of leaders, particularly if they're newer, but but it could be anybody, even if you've been in the job a long time, but you might not realize how much your personal traits and tendencies affect the mood and the atmosphere of the group. A lot of people think they're much more open than they really come off and appear. So how how do leaders start to get a sense of like what they're doing and how it affects the tone for their whole group? Yeah. One of the most important things for, for you know leaders in my estimation has really become the extent to which a leader is um, self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the type and style of leadership that we are we're talking about here. So I believe that um, historically leadership has more been being seen ex- from the external, what a leader manifests, either in terms of their personality, the things that I can see them saying and doing. Um, and oftentimes leadership was encapsulated in a role or a position. I think that leadership right now is a lot more personal, right? You can lead at any level within an organization, within a community, within your family. You can demonstrate leadership. And that type of leadership, that personal um, essence of leadership comes from internal self-awareness. So it's not just about what you do and how it affects others. It's also about what do you know about yourself? And how well do you manage yourself in a way that people are willing and able to follow you, right? So for a leader to be self-aware, take some work. You've got to do your own work, Mm -hmm. right? And you need to know things about like yourself, about yourself, such as what you value and how that gets communicated, how that fits in the environment that you're operating. Um, you need to know what you're good at, what you're not good at, mm-hmm. what you're bringing to the table. And you also need to know what are the things, because we all have them, that get in the way for you. You know, that can trigger the kind of response or outcome that you don't necessarily choose to have. And there are lots of things that contribute to what are our unconscious or voluntary Uh, reactions. They often live in places called blind spots. Mm -hmm. So I find that, um, you know, the field that I work in is very much geared around learning, whether you're doing it as an individual or as an organization. And one of the first stages of learning is awareness. That's the most powerful stage to me, because you can't get to any of the others without that awareness piece being sort of turned on. Leaders are accountable for their level of awareness, starting with themselves. Does that resonate, make sense for you? Absolutely. So you talk about the hard work 
of of self-awareness. And I think, you know, this is not an easy thing sometimes um, because if you ask me to describe myself, it might be different than how others might describe me or I think I'm good at something and I have no idea. I think, oh yeah, I create this great environment in a meeting and I don't know that everyone else is like, do you know you shut people down? Do you know like your reaction to things or I see your face when I'm saying something and um, you know, it makes me not want to say it. And you don't know that you're doing that. You think I'm super open. Why wouldn't you tell me something? Um, so as part of that work of self-awareness as a leader, how do you start getting a sense of how you're doing in this area and how your self-perception might match up with the perception of others? You know, I think that we've, we are in a wonderful, um, place and space these days. So the powerful work that's been done to support things like emotional intelligence, right? Um, the work that's been done around neuroscience, which has moved from research into application. We actually have the tools. I like to help us be better human beings, which is really what we are to start mm-hmm. out with. And we spend a lot of time learning and knowing about everything else except what it takes to be a human being. So for me, there is a level of willingness and want to that's required on the part of leaders to know themselves right and then the tools that are available can start with um uh assessment instruments uh is a very interesting part that just starts to give you some baseline understanding and i think it's more verbalizing for yourself some things that you might already know about yourself which is very powerful And there's a lot of value in that because it gives you intentionality. I'm not just doing something because, quote unquote, I'm good at it or I like it. I'm good at it. I like it. And I also have a conscious awareness of the effect it has when I do or say these things. Mm -hmm. And so it starts for me with a sense of willingness on the part of leaders. And then the other powerful tool that leaders have access to is feedback, which again is about the work. Mm -hmm. I have to be willing to solicit feedback, to even hear it, because many times feedback is coming towards you and you're just not paying any attention. (laughs) Yes. Right? So you have to be willing to accept and allow feedback to come in, understanding that you get to make the final decision on what you do with that information. But first you have to access it, right? So my experience has taught me that those are two particularly important steps that a leader can take to start the process of becoming self-aware. And now with that in hand, which is a big part of emotional intelligence, that first two quadrants is self-awareness and self-management. I'm aware. Now I can better make choices about I want what I want to handle and do about what I know about myself. Then I can start to really deal with others. How does this match up with what I see others' needs might be? Right? That part is is so powerful, I think, as as we talk here about, you know, both your self-awareness of your styles and then where it matches up with others. So um, and I'm thinking as 
psychological safety is such an important part of the conversation around diversity and inclusion, um, recognizing how you come to the conversation and how other people may be coming very differently. So, for example, you know, I'm in a I come from a family where, you know, we're we're happy to like air what's bothering us or talk about our, our grievances or things like that. And no worries about, you know, saying something like that. Also, it's part of my style of like if I'm frustrated or upset, you know, it's you're happy to bring that. Now, other people might be coming and they you have to draw them out to get what's bothering them or, or it might be different. So how do you start to kind of combine that sense of like, here's my style, but how do I adjust for the people around me? So that becomes, again, you know, everything learning starts with awareness, right? So I need to be aware of others and I need to have, again, the sense of openness to finding out who they are. Um, for me, I think about it as being able to honor um, what people bring to the table, understand, understand and discern how they might be sh showing up, and then helping to ha start this give and take. Um, one of the wonderful things I think about diversity but it also speaks to why psychological safety is so important. So if we're equating psychological safety to this um, environment of vulnerability, creating an environment where people can be vulnerable, right? If someone is different from different than I am, I have to understand that I may not get everything about what they need or who they are right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I have to accept that I might be wrong, which automatically makes me, again, vulnerable. So yeah. the environment has to be an environment that allows me to be willing to do that, to be wrong, to take risks. But to use uh, my ability to get to know others and what they need and feel that I value meeting the needs that they may have. Does that resonate? Mm -hmm. And you know, to what extent do I want to meet other people's needs? Well, to the extent that we are here together and we're doing, there is something that we want to accomplish together, then our, the extent to which we can meet each other's needs increases our ability to accomplish what we want together, right? We have a shared interest. So if I bring it to the workplace, the workplace is a space where there's shared interest. Mm -hmm. We have some outcome that we want to accomplish. We want to accomplish it. We need to accomplish it together. Here's mm -hmm. what I'm bringing. Now I need to know what you're bringing so I can access it and so that we can work together to, work, to be able to make that happen. So there is impetus for leaders to want to get to know the people that they are supporting and that are supporting them in getting the job done. Right? Jen, it's so funny as you're talking to me, I, I can almost see, I can hear you doing some of these things as you're checking in with me that, that do things resonate. You're asking me along the way. It's, <laughs> it's amazing to me as I'm talking to you, I'm like, she's doing it right now. She's pulling me <laughs> Um, So it, I love the way you're kind of, you know, asking along the way if, if things are, are resonating and, and kind of checking in to get, you know, me or if you're in a meeting people openings to kind of say, I'm not following or I'm not quite on board with that or, or things like that. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about too is your, as you've talked about vulnerability, 
um, that's a little bit scary for people, you know, and that's, and that's the thing of, you know, especially if I'm setting the tone as the leader for the group, I want to people to feel comfortable sharing their ideas at work. I want them to feel, um, safe and even sharing some personal things about themselves. That's how we all get along and things like that. Um, but as a leader, you can also struggle with boundaries too, of, you know, I want you to feel safe, but I also, this is not your platform to go off about every single little thing. So how do you set boundaries about on your team about sort of, you know, here's, here's how we can talk about things safely without, um, letting things go totally off the rails that, um, you know, we're going a little bit too far in in some direction. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you even framed the question that way. Recently, I had a client that I was working with in an organization and they, as a team, they're a small team um, and it's a small um, agency and they were struggling with that. They Mm -hmm. have a high sense of openness. People are, they're very, very relational environment. And yet where they have sort of hit a bit of a wall is that idea of boundaries. So how do you say, oh, bring all of you. Oh, but not that part, not that part, not that part to individuals. And they feel still feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as I'm growing myself in my understanding of this and in a more intentional way doing it, because when I started doing some of the practices, um, I love DDI. Uh, That's why Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of decades with DDI. I found that DDI gave me the how and the why of a lot of the practices and approaches I have. This concept of psychological safety is giving me like a big target for what is it that we're trying to accomplish with this how and this why. Mm -hmm. So within this organization, one of the things I found around boundaries is you establish boundaries by norming. You know, how we operate is as important as what we're trying to do. How we go about doing it is as important as what. And oftentimes we start with the what. Okay, our purpose is, and this is why it's important. That's really great. Mm-hmm. The next most important question to me is, so how do we want to go about doing this? Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes, especially when it comes to creating psychological safety, Doing that as a shared activity promotes accountability. It's not just what makes me psychologically safe. I don't know what would make you psychologically safe. So we need Mm -hmm. to talk about that, right? Once you start to talk about that, people have made their first investment in the relationship, in the work, and in whatever you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they also start to hold themselves accountable. Is this mutual accountability? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think a lot of people who are are thinking of this um, topic, you know, it's one thing to kind of say, like, I love the idea that my team has psychological safety; they're tracking with everything that's going on. Um, and another to actually practice and create that environment. So, yes. you know, lots of people are like. I'm totally bought in. Great idea. What do I do about it? What are the practical habits and things I can do to reinforce psychological safety on my team? I I look at, you know, almost what I do 
inside the work that I do. When mm -hmm. I'm doing um, workshops, doing uh, training opportunities and sessions. And the most important thing for me is to start with the culture and the environment in which we're operating. Mm -hmm. And giving a sense of, you know, you have to start with, do people feel like they belong there? And that they own space inside that room, inside their own learning. I think the same thing has to happen with organizations. What can mm -hmm. leaders do? Start to check in on the environment that you have and the extent to which people feel like they belong and they own it. Mm -hmm. right? um, and you can do that in very um, simple ways. Again, um, this is not part of this is me drawing from practice, my own practices and approaches. And it's also what I'm hearing reflected back um, in organizations that I'm working with, what organizations are doing, but what other thought leaders are also thinking about and doing. And one of the interesting things about feeling like you belong, uh, when I first started in my practice, I used to go into a lot of spaces where mm -hmm. I did not feel. I knew that others didn't think I belonged. I knew I didn't feel, always feel that I belong. So I had to learn how to create that sense of belonging for myself. And so there are um, aspects of risk that involve being vulnerable, like asking questions. Mm -hmm. Sets allows you to model your own vulnerability, right? But also gives you a chance to start to be included. Making mm -hmm. eye contact with people. It's an amazing thing about our humanity. Um, we read each other's eyes in order to get a sense of whether we trust each other like each other, want to get to know each other. Um, greeting people, those are behaviors that leaders need to become self-aware about and pay attention to who they do that to naturally and unconsciously to because they feel mm -hmm. familiar, who they may not do that to. And why? Is it because you don't think they belong or you don't feel comfortable with them? You don't feel, because know that you're sending messages. So there's that sense of inclusion. Mm -hmm. There is this opportunity to let people feel, and we both mentioned this, that these terms we're using, vulnerability, that equates to things like risk, mm -hmm. right? Or, or safety. And people need to be put into a place where they feel like they can make mistakes. Mm -hmm. They can learn from their mistakes. So how will you communicate that within your team? How do you establish that as a ground rule? And we're all moving into this desire to have what I'm finding is a, a different orientation to the kind of culture we are creating in our organizations, which means if we're moving to something new and different, it means that we're moving away from something. So there mm -hmm. was a culture, we have existed in a culture that may not have had all of these things available or accessible in the same way. So there are things we need to let go of. We need to be as mindful of what we're letting go of as what we want, right? So some of our culture has been built on power and authority. Some of our culture has been built heavily on right or wrong or intolerance for mistakes. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to break that down, acknowledge that that existed and then unpack that so that you can move to a culture that says, you know what, 
Mistakes do happen. And what's our level of tolerance for that? And how do we handle that when it happens? Mm-hmm. And people then can learn how to do that. Those things promote, I remember, when was it? A couple of decades ago, this idea of learning organizations became mm-hmm. something that companies were focusing on. Not only do how, not only do individuals need to learn, but the organizational unit needs to set up an environment where people can learn. That promotes safety. And then helping your people do this. So you're doing it, you're establishing some norms about how we can do this together. And then how do I I get you engaged around this? Coach you. (laughs) I coach you on other things, the technical parts of the job. How do I help coach you around these other environmental aspects of the job, the how we operate, if I believe that those things are as important as the what we have to do. So I'm hearing from you, Jen, a lot of this too is about how leaders um, monitor their own reactions. So to a mistake or to something maybe they disagree with initially, (laughs) you know, and that can be hard to kind of, um, you know, pull back your own natural reaction to something, but it matters a lot when you're the leader in the room too, if somebody um, either admits a mistake that they made or they share something that you think is totally off base, the way you react to that um, sets a huge tone. So how how do you kind of start to think about your actions, both verbal and nonverbal, and think about how you're coming across then as the leader and setting that tone for whether um, of psychological safety? Are there repercussions when people admit something or share something that might be difficult or uncomfortable? Yeah, I think that this this really works. One of my, you know, when I mentioned that at DDI, one of the things that I came away with carries all still, I mean, um, has have been some of the practices. And one of the most powerful ones around our principles is share. The capacity for a leader to share appropriately is important. And one of the biggest things that leaders can share is how they feel. I am sorry. I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wanted to do this. However, what I actually did was this. Mm -hmm. Those are things about you that no one would have access to unless you put it out there. And when you put it out there, I found find that it creates a level of authenticity about who you are. Being a leader is not about always being right. Even in around psychological safety, I can't guarantee that I will always create the safest environment for you. Up front, that's not my job, it's back and forth. However, I do need to also be not only self-aware, but once I, when I am aware then I need to share what's going on for me. And I also need to hold myself accountable if I'm acting outside of our norms, which I just, which I might. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a friend and she talks about, Yeah, I mentioned blind spots as something that leaders yeah. are not often aware of. They're also not, we are also not often aware of our biases. Mm-hmm. Some we are, but many of them exist unconsciously. So, she talks about bad moments, bias awareness moments. Yeah. When you get confronted 
by a bias that you didn't know you had that may have mm -hmm. triggered a response you didn't want. In that moment, what can I what else can I do but share with you what's going on for me? Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that element of this, these are principles that you don't just put out there for others to be accountable to do it for doing. You need to model them and then you need to help others hold themselves accountable. And then you hold yourself accountable. And now we are we've created this shared culture in which we all at which we exist in which we exist. This concept of bare moments is really interesting of, of those bias awareness moments. And when we think about our own reactions to things as leaders, um, that's such an, a powerful way to think about it of, you know, it may be something like every time a certain person on the team gives an idea, you don't realize it, but you're doing a little eye roll. Or, you know, as soon as they start to speak, you're kind of like pushing them forward or um, becoming aware of when a topic is addressed, you start to shut down, you know, whether you're on, you know, whether you're virtual or in person, you're crossing your arms and things like that. I think getting to those moments and then realizing what your reaction is and mm -hmm. understanding that is such a powerful and hard thing to do, by the way. It, it's it's powerful and it's hard. And also what I appreciate about it is because now we are talking, are translating these concepts into behavioral things, things that we're either saying and doing. Now I have greater control, believe it or not, myself. So how do I interrupt this becomes the next step, right? So when this happens, I do this. So what is it that you would want to do instead? Being able to think about what else might I want to do. So when, I don't know, Cynthia starts to talk, I get agitated or mm, I get impatient. What I would prefer to do is, is pause and maybe ask a question. Right? Mm -hmm. Could you explain that further for me? so that I can, right? So I've set up almost a conditioning for myself that can now start to change that practice, right? So I'm gaining more control over something that I used to do unconsciously by first making it conscious to myself and then making a conscious choice to act differently in that moment. Mm -hmm. And the mind is so powerful that we actually have the ability to retrain our mind once we allow it access to some of the unconscious things that it does. Right. So in the virtual environment, some of this can be really challenging. Um, and I think about, you know, sometimes you're in a large meeting or in a group and maybe for whatever reason, people don't all have their cameras on. And that can be really scary because in a, in a, live environment, I can always 
tell, are people engaged? Are they nodding along with me? Are they like totally looking at me like I'm a crazy person? And when you're speaking into the void of the digital environment, you don't know what people are doing. You don't know if they're even paying attention or if they're multitasking or if they're sitting on the other ends of their computers, like furious at you, you don't know. Yes. Um, as a leader, are there some small prompts, you know, if somebody on your team is talking or um, as you're facilitating the meeting, some small things you can do to kind of encourage that environment of um, psychological safety to let them know they're not sort of just speaking out into that void. Into the void. You know, there's this term and one of the norms that um, I had a, I've had a recent session, I'm doing a learning journey with a client and it was wonderful. We have a small intimate group and this one is not virtual. So even though it's not virtual, I want to almost use them and then I'll apply it virtually, mm -hmm. the example. So when you have a small group, whether it's virtual or in person, there is more pressure put on everyone to be present. Yeah. There's no place to hide. <laughs> you know, when a question gets put out there, a thought, et cetera, there you are. So setting up again, those norms became really, really, really important. And one of the ones that the group wanted to have is to be present, right? To remind ourselves that being present is important. So what does that look like? Virtually, I asked the same thing. I asked folks to be present. So if that's the norm, here are some ways that it looks. Um, to the extent that you feel comfortable, safe, and are able, turn on your cameras. Why? because it allows all of us to feel that much more connected to each other, right? So that's one piece. You've got to ask for what you want and what you expect of folks and ask them to buy in. Also giving people some criteria for how that's okay. Um, participation, ask for it. You want participation? Ask for it. Everyone's thoughts on this Zoom call, this meeting is really important, right? So definitely we'll ask, you know, ask for you to share. I also let people know based upon, again, their comfort, know that if I don't hear from them, soon to appear in your local neighborhood will be me asking your opinion, right? So that people can weigh in and understand what those dynamics are. If you're not comfortable when called, then just let us know that. So there are a lot of things that I found uh, having spent decades in face-to-face -face learning situations. I was hesitant to move into a Zoom environment. I was, how can you create the level of relationship that feeds my soul and feeds me when I'm doing my work mm -hmm. when you're virtual? Having spent time on the box in in a virtual environment, I have found that there are new and exciting ways to create connectivity virtually. It simply means though that all of those things that we need to do when we are face-to-face, -face, we need to deepen and enhance our skills and our intent to accomplish the same things. You just need to put in more time and more intentionality. Yeah. Is that Absolutely. And I mean, you can you even have some tools like, you know, you can use the little emojis or things like that. As people are talking, a little thumbs up as they go goes a long way for encouragement. <laughs> it really does. And asking people to express themselves that way. 
you know, I ask people before we start a session to um, I have a scale that I share with them, a, a, a visual scale, um, you know, to pick what sheep they are. But start to identify how are you coming into this meeting? And what do you want to keep and what do you want to be aware of? What do you want to throw away? So we talk about the things that we want, like the environment that we want. And I have found people lean into being able to do that. And it means doing it more than one time. So just because you did it one time and everybody doesn't show for it doesn't mean that you don't come back the next time and continue to do that. So as we start to wrap up our discussion one thing I wanted to ask you, though, is about, you know, there's a very practical concern for leaders um, that they want to create the environment of openness, and that's good, and they want people to feel comfortable sharing, but they've also got um, something they've got to get done. So they're usually crunched for time, and and while it sounds, you know, we've got one hour to figure something out or to have this meeting, and while I would love to entertain all comments on all sides and things like that, there's also a reality that we need to focus. We need to keep things moving and we need to get done what we need to get done. So as a leader, how do you balance openness and inclusion with focus? I don't believe that they are mutually exclusive, right? Um, I do think that they do that inclusivity does take time, participation takes time, and how much time requires your level of skill. So you've got to practice, 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 um, and facility with how you set up the climate, et cetera. So that's one. Number two, I found that time invested up front to establish climate, to establish expectations, to establish things like clear direction. What do we need to accomplish? And in how much time do we have to accomplish it? Really frees people up to contribute and deliver within the frame that they've been given. And it's amazing the quality of what they're able to deliver because you've already given them an idea of the how, how they need to go about doing it. So we all come with the same amount of time every day for 180 minutes as leaders that we get a chance to put into practice. And I don't think that it's an exclu it, that they're mutually exclusive. Our ability to um, be focused and direct and deliver can be ma managed or engaged with allowing people to um, feel safe and explore and participate and be involved. I, I love that, you know, bringing people in, we've all got this time together and bringing them into that time pressure of what you've got to accomplish is such a great way um, to share that focus while giving people a little bit of freedom. Um, so the last thing I have for you is a question I ask all of our guests on this show. Can you share with me a moment of leadership that changed your life for better, for worse, to make you say, I want to lead like that, or I never want to lead like that. I want to lead like that, or I never want to lead like that. Oh, there have been so many moments of that. <laughs> but um, I think the one that's that, that, that comes to mind is what launched me on my starting my own business. 
So I was in an organization and at the time I would say that I felt comfortable wanting challenging the status quo which is also another important aspect of this cultural shift that we're making into creating more psychological safety in our environment, right? So the environment there was, it was a wonderful place. They did excellent work, good quality work, um, but demonstrated such a lack of willingness to move beyond just continuing to do what they already did well and i realized that for my for me those values were very important to me having that ability and that that would mean that i would need to actually make a change and after having spent you know by that time a couple of decades um in organizational environments i realized that i wanted to be in charge of of what my mission was, of what I wanted to accomplish, uh, what my goals needed to be, and the values I wanted to actually operate under. And that actually allowed me to have the, uh, the courage to launch my own business and to launch a business that was values-based, that, that was mine, and mission-focused. And I have never looked back on that based upon the opportunities that it gave. And I think some of the things that we talked about today, though, um, as leaders develop them, it really gives them the strength to do just that, to lead, to move from themselves as well as others from where they are now to actually where they want to be. That's what organizations need you to be able to do. I love that, um, that sense of being able to break out uh, from beyond maybe what you're currently doing or what you're thinking. And that's what the psychological safety is all about, to think beyond just what's expected of us to bring forth that innovation, those different ideas, that expansion of what we can do and how we can better solve problems. So I love that story and how it related to all of the um, wonderful tips and ideas you shared with us today. So thank you so much, Jen, for being here with us on the Leadership 480 podcast. Oh, it was a pleasure. Pleasure spending time with you and definitely a pleasure having the leaders that uh, share and listen in on this podcast, sharing time with them. Thank you so much, Jen. Uh, and to our leaders, thank you for taking time out of your 480 minutes today to be with us. And remember to make every moment of leadership count.